0: I'm Sarah Resnick, and I'm LaShawn Moore, and we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Allie Rousseau. Allie is a fiber artist and designer based out of Montreal, Quebec. She's a tapestry weaver who's created close to 200 custom pieces for people all over the world using her signature style of bold blocks and squares of color. She also teaches weaving, and we loved collaborating with Ali on a blog post last year sharing her weaving style with our community. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today, Allie. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way towards weaving and towards textiles?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my name is Alison. Most people call me Ali. And I'm a fiber artist based out of Montreal, Quebec in Canada and um, I found weaving quite unexpectedly actually Um, it was back in 2013 when I was finishing up my last semester of university and I was online doing some research for um, an assignment I think it was for sculpture drawing or something and I came across an article about the textile artist Mimi Yang um, who's based out of Los Angeles and I was just so fascinated by her work and I hadn't really known of weaving in a finer context before that so I just kind of tried to do research and started teaching myself how to weave and now it's four five six years later (laughs) and um yeah I've been weaving ever since so that's kind of how I got into it
0: so what was that process like of teaching yourself how to weave what did you build yourself a
1: loom and and tell me more about that It was pretty interesting because at the time weaving hadn't yet become like a popular trendy thing. Um, It was hard to find resources online. Like I would YouTube and look for like tutorials on how to warp loom and, you know, plain weave and things that are so simple. And all that would come up would be how to uh, do hair weaves. So it was really hard to find um, anything online and I couldn't really find any books. Um, so I really just like, you know, just started doing it. Um, I was given a little lap loom as a gift and, um, it was very small. It was like five centimeter or no, five inches wide. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just really just started figuring it out without any help in any way. And, you know, gradually over time, as I played around with it, I learned how to do certain things and probably invented my own ways to do things. And, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it got going. That's
0: great. Is there an active weaving and textile community in Montreal where you live?
1: Yeah, there there are weavers that I know of working here. Um, but to be honest, I'm not too involved in it. I kind of stick to my own uh, Sure area but uh, yeah yeah, it definitely exists I know that there is quite a history of um, textiles in Montreal actually um, many years ago Um, but yeah I'm not not super into the current uh, weaving scene here surprisingly
0: (laughs) (laughs) what is it about weaving and textiles that keeps you coming back and why do you think you've stuck with this medium since then
1: I think uh, probably has to be the versatility and the variety that weaving offers. Uh, the possibilities are really endless as to what you can create. And that keeps me from ever becoming bored by the craft. And the same design in any weaving can yield different results each time you reproduce it. And the same goes for different fibers. You know, if you use a different type of yarn to do the same design, it'll look completely different. And so I think I'm just always inspired to keep trying new things and learning more about it and working with different fibers and it's just, you can do so much with it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. What kind of fibers and what kind of of equipment do you like to work with?
1: I use a variety like many weavers do. Um, I prefer cotton. I think it's probably my favorite type of fiber. Um, As far as tools and equipment go, I like to keep it pretty simple Um, I hand make all of my frame looms out of canvas stretcher bars as I've always done since well not day one because I was gifted a small loom at the beginning but ever since learning how to do it I've been making my my own uh, looms and um, I weave with a simple weaving needle that I've used since day one as well and I just find it really satisfying to do as much as I can with as little as I can and that applies to the fibers that I use too. I try and really use up a fiber and get to know it and before I go out and buy new yarns and things like that so I just like to keep it as simple as I can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One thing that I remember you mentioning is that you source a lot of your yarn from thrift shops which is really yes. cool. yeah. And I'm wondering if you could talk about, like, the first time you found a whole whack of yarn in a <laughs> thrift shop and what that was like, and um, if you have tips for people on how to search out great used yarn.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love thrifting in general for anything and everything, so it's it's always exciting when I go to a thrift store and I don't know what I'm going to find, but the first thing that I look for is their yarn section, and sometimes they don't have any, and sometimes they have so much that I can't, you know, carry Um, but yeah, it's really exciting because you never know what you could find as opposed to going to a yarn shop where they have, you know, hundreds of different types of fibers and colors and anything that you could possibly want. But I think what I love about sourcing my yarn secondhand so much is that I never know what I could find. And then from that point on, I'm, you know, I never know what I can make with it too. Like, it's just, it's an exciting element, um, but yeah, I find that I can find really uh, unique colors and textures this way too. Um, the only downside to thrifting yarn, I would say, is that you might buy one cone and then never be able to find it again. So if you're trying to make a piece with you know, a lot of that one particular color, you'll probably run out. And so there's this other element to it too, where it kind of adds a unique quality to each piece. If I'm using thrifted yarn, um, I would say I guess to give advice to anybody who is looking for secondhand yarns would be to just make sure you inspect it if you find any at a a thrift shop or a church sale or anywhere um and just make sure that it looks like it's in good shape and you know it's not there aren't stains on it or anything because you will come across some yarns like that but um I only buy the best that I can find and uh you might have to buy a big bag of ugly yarn in order to get one ball that's hidden inside that's really good. But um that's that's the fun of it, I find.
0: Do you have tips for figuring out what is in like what fiber content is in a yarn that is unwigled?
1: That's a good question. <laughs> I I usually yeah, it's hard. I mean, some yarns you can kind of tell if it's cotton or mm-hmm. it's a little bit trickier to figure out if it's wool or if it's a synthetic fiber um but no I don't know if I have any tips on how to figure out which one it is I mean I guess the more you work with yarns the better you get to know the different types of fiber and you can feel it and kind of get a sense for it and even just weaving with it you can learn about it and see how it reacts maybe compared to some of your other yarns and then figure it out that way but yeah. yeah. I've
0: I've never actually done this, but I've always heard that you can do a burn test for acrylic. Oh. And like if acrylic acrylic will melt and and an animal fiber will smell like burning hair. So
1: Oh yeah, that makes total sense. No one set their
0: house on fire because this podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: <but laughs> yeah, that's a little bit yeah. uh risky, but it sounds yes. <laughs> like it would work for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you have a a very particular style. Um, I would say you have really clean lines and Mm -hmm. bold use of shapes and colors. And I'm wondering if you could describe that for people who might not be familiar with your work and also share how you started to develop that style.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So for most of my work, I typically like to create the focus of the design within a sort of grid, um, which I imagine most weavers do as well, just because of the the nature of the loom and the the warp and the weft. Um, But this means that I typically will have a border around most of the color in my work. And so I will start weaving uh, the background of the design first and typically leave open any areas that I want to fill in with color or... Um, either flat woven or with knots, so the process kind of ends up looking cleaner for lack of a better word because it's it's kind of like I focus on my tension and the lines of the base before I add any color if that makes sense so a lot of my work explores color gradients and so I may weave a piece that is comprised of all different yellows and play with texture and having some areas be raised with knots and some flat. so I kind of play with a different um levels and layers and working with color in that way Um, I think my style developed this way over time Um, when I first started weaving I was making anything just so I could learn about weaving and what kind of results certain techniques would yield but over time and the more I learned the less I needed to experiment and it became more about trying to control the fibers in a refined way and so I think that is what really led me down this particular style path is because I love making an organic and like fluid material look rigid and hard, if that makes sense, like mm. trying to control something that is so uncontrollable in so many ways. And I think that's why my work looks so like straight lines everywhere, because I'm trying to force it into this, this rigid structure.
0: Hmm. Is yeah. Were you also exploring similar themes in other mediums? You right. Were-
1: yeah thinking back um when I was in university I was taking a lot of sculpture and drawing courses and I would actually have some welding classes and construction and I loved that it was really great um but yeah I guess that would maybe kind of relate to it in some way like trying to force a material into a place and um I took painting classes too and it's funny I don't actually really relate weaving to painting but I I have had some people say that my work sometimes reminds them of painting and I can kind of see it because it's like the borders that I create in my work is almost like the canvas with the color on top of it in the middle and Hmm. organized in that way it's kind of interesting to compare yeah yeah
0: yeah definitely so when you sit down to make a piece, do you have it planned out in your head where it's going to go? Or do you kind of let the yarn speak to you as you're creating yeah, in the middle?
1: I kind of let the yarn speak to me. and yeah. <laughs> um, My process is pretty simple, though it does vary from piece to piece. Um, I'll typically start out by choosing one color and then I'll keep adding colors to create a color palette that I want to work with. And I, I do tend to stick to the same color palettes. Like I do a lot of yellows and pinks and blues. And I think I'm just trying to get to know those palettes really well. The more I work with them, the more I learn about those colors and how the colors relate to one another, even within like using, you know, five different blues and how, how those blues change when they're next to other blues and things like that. Um yeah, so what was the question?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, that was answering it. Like your process okay, good. Of, of how you're working with yarn and how you're um, – does if you're designing it. Oh, right. Design.
1: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> process of um, designing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I just really start with the color and obviously get lost in it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't ever really sketch it out, to be honest. Like I think if anything, I'll sketch it afterwards so that I can remember if I want to remake it. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, like the, some measurements, like how many warp threads I used or, you know, how many inches this space was, just so that I'm able to come back to it and not have to kind of figure it all over again if I'm to remake something. But, sure. yeah, my process is just kind of like I dive in and kind of get lost, I guess I yeah. would say.
0: One of the things I'm always curious to talk to different artists about is what their process is when they hate something they're working (laughs) on. (laughs) And if they have advice for other people, you know, um, you know, Mm -hmm. are you someone that like throws it away or just kind of works through that pain or tell me about that?
1: (laughs) Mm, That's interesting. I definitely go through that a lot, as I'm sure other people do. Um, I think, you know, because I don't really plan out my work precisely in any way I just kind of start going with it and if at any point I feel like it's not working I might push it a bit further and see if it changes or if I change my mind and I might even finish an entire weaving and then at the end hate it and like either cut it up or take (laughs) it apart or um you know I think it just depends on each individual weaving and sometimes you do have to just abandon all of those hours of work and start again, but I think that's part of the process, no matter what. Even if you plan it out, you know, you don't know how it's going to look in the end. And I think that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you do commission based work or do you
1: I do. Yeah.
0: What's that process like?
1: Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't really advertise that I do custom work very often, to be honest. I'm not sure why I think I just let people come to me and I'm always excited when they want me to custom make something for them. But uh, the process is different for each person, I would say. Um, I'll typically start out by asking the client if they already have something in mind. Um, and they'll typically know the colors they want and I will ask them to send me photos of work that I've made in the past that maybe interest them just to get a nice, an idea of their style, and what they're most drawn to design-wise. And then depending on the client or the request, I might also ask for a few photos of their space that they want the hanging or the, the weaving to hang in. And this helps me to ensure that the piece will suit their existing decor and color scheme and gives me a better idea. Um, and next, I'll probably ask uh, like what size they were thinking. And if they're unsure, I'll ask maybe about their budget instead. I find that that typically helps people figure out Uh, scale of things because they might not know the pricing structure Um, and it's really different based on every design I don't have a very set pricing system in place for custom work Um, but knowing how much they want to spend I'll be able to figure out how large I can make it and and then we'll iron out any remaining details until we kind of agree upon a plan
0: that's great yeah so do you work full-time as an artist, and, and I'm curious if you could talk about your process of, of being able to support yourself through your weaving.
1: Yeah, I do. I have been working full-time as an artist for the last three, about three years now, actually, and I can say that they've been the quickest and most challenging and rewarding years of my life so far. It's It's been quite an intense ride. Hmm. Um, the process began, and I only had a few thousand dollars of savings, and the days were very long, and I had just quit my jobs and kind of told myself that I couldn't fail because I didn't have a plan B. You know, like I just had to make it work, and it was kind of the first time in my life where I, I gave myself that sort of pressure and ultimatum. Um, and I, the way that I really managed to get it off the ground and, and working was that I kept my expenses as low as possible. You know, I worked from home where I paid cheap rent for a one-bedroom apartment, and I, I just worked really long days. And at the beginning, it was really hard to take time off because I felt guilty that I couldn't stop working until I felt like I made enough money that week or that month. Uh, and it was pretty stressful just to get started, um, but it really paid off, and it was it was really rewarding when I started to feel like all of that hard work was really starting to pay off, and I could see. Some energy coming back to me that I was putting out in the world, and I just kind of uh, became more confident in myself, I would say, and in my work in general, and it just gradually became less stressful, and I slowly started to diversify my work as well, which really helped um, create different ways of making an income. Um, For example, I created different items that could be sold at different price points, so that meant that if I had just spent a week making a weaving and it wasn't selling right away, I could switch gears really quickly and start making something like a bookmark or a brooch, something small that I could kind of stay focused with and still enjoy because you have to enjoy the process even when it's hard, you know, like you're not you're not going to enjoy what you're doing unless um, you allow yourself space to kind of get through those hard days and and do other things so this really helped me stay focused um and I think the best advice that I could give anybody kind of trying to start something like that would be to keep your expenses very low like I did I honestly think that that's what allowed me to be successful in the beginning anyway and You know, it's different in every situation, obviously. I wouldn't recommend quitting your job unless it's, you know, the right thing to do at at that time for you. Um, But I would say to just kind of try and do the most you can with what you already have and take your time. Nothing needs to happen overnight and it probably won't. Um, But you don't need to buy any crazy supplies or tools in order to get started. You can kind of make a lot yourself. And if you only have, you know, two colors of yarn work with those two colors until you can't get anything new out of them. You know, you can just really push what you have until you have enough to kind of do more and build and grow and let it take its time. And yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I would recommend doing. I mean, again, yeah, it's different for everybody, but that's just kind of what worked for me. And the advice that I can give because it's from my own experience and it's what worked
0: it's great advice I appreciate you sharing oh, that good. journey <laughs> one one thing you touched on that I think is is so key and also amorphous and like hard to figure out how to do is is as that is like developing that sense of self-confidence mm, yeah which for I sure. think is like it's hard as an artist it's hard as someone who's trying like as a business owner oh <laughs> absolutely maybe as a woman yeah definitely um, and I'm I'm just wondering if, if you had a sense of, of where that started to, like, make a turn for you mm. and, and how you cultivated that sense in yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I'd be able to remember when it kind of started to sink in, that it was working and that things were feeling that stressful and I was more confident. I think it was probably, hmm, <laughs> maybe... <laughs> after the first year, I know that sounds like a long time, but that first year was really just like, I kind of ignored everything around me and just focused with my head down. And I try not to let myself feel any negative thoughts, you know, the thoughts that's, that might tell you to, you know, give up or that you can't do this or anything like that. I kind of just tried to stay focused and try and ignore all the negativity around me and um I had to be my own cheerleader. I still am, obviously, you know, like it, it never ends. You never have to stop self-motivating. But I think specifically, if I'm to be specific about maybe what happened that made me feel more confident, was probably um, when I felt like my audience was growing. And that was something that I was really focusing on in the first year, which was just to create an audience and try and build that community around me whether it was online or local or whatever it was going to be that was really important because I knew that I needed an audience in order to sell my work right like Mm -hmm. I, I needed people to be there and and I needed people to share my work with and so I think when I started to feel like people were out there and they were listening and they were seeing me that's when I started to feel like okay I have a place here and and my work is good and I'm I I'm confident in my work and I think it's you know worth continuing to explore and and you know it has a place in this world that sounds pretty corny but um that's I guess I just had to keep telling myself you know that it was worth worth making and from there it just kind of grew and I felt more comfortable in my position and you know I really loved what I was doing I love weaving and so that definitely helped (laughs) spending so much time weaving
0: absolutely what's on the horizon for the future what weaving projects are you getting excited
1: about well actually um next month I'm going to start filming two new online classes which I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about Mm -hmm. um and aside from that I just moved into a new studio space at the end of May so I'm kind of just excited to stop going to home hardware and start settling (laughs) in and uh focus on new ideas and larger work and I don't really know beyond that what's in store. I kind of just let things happen as they do. I don't plan too far into the future, but um, for next month, the classes I'm really excited about. So, so tell me,
0: tell me more about that because you're also a teacher yeah. and you teach weaving techniques and classes online. So, yeah, how do those work, and how did you decide you wanted to start teaching?
1: Yeah, well, I so I have two classes out online right now, and the first one which is called Weaving Essentials, kind of covers the basics of, I guess, frame weaving and kind of materials and uh, tools. And it's all specific to my practice and the tools that I use and techniques that I've taught myself. So it's great for anyone who's interested in my work and who wants to know more about how I do what I do. Um, And the second class is called Extended Techniques and is a little bit more advanced. And I expand on a few different techniques that I use, such as Uh, using rye knots to create raised areas and textures in my work and how to control your tension while you create variation in textures like that. And um, so I started um, thinking about creating these classes um, kind of over a long period of time. It took me uh, quite a while to kind of accept that I was going to jump to this next step. And at the beginning, I didn't feel like I had anything to really teach to be honest because I had only been weaving for a few years um, and I I didn't feel like what I was doing was very different from anyone else as far as techniques and tools and materials goes Um, but I was getting so many questions people were asking me the same questions over and over again and it started to become pretty overwhelming because I was spending hours every week kind of answering the same question and I I was getting a little bit worried because I felt like maybe people were trying to copy my work in, in just the way some of the questions were were worded. And um, and so I, I just decided that creating these classes was going to be a way for me to reach many people kind of at the same time and answer the same questions once. And, you know, like if someone would, if someone would reach out to me about something, I would be able to direct them to the class and say, I show you how I do that here. And it's much easier to show it with a visual than to try and explain it with words because it's a strictly visual thing you know you're weaving and you need to see how it's done so I found it to be really helpful and it's 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 really great to also make a bit of money at the same time and whereas before when I was spending you know hours a week answering those questions I wasn't being paid for that time and that was something that was kind of difficult to deal with as well but uh yeah, so it worked out and I'm, the feedback has been really great. So I'm really happy that people are enjoying the classes and that's kind of why I've decided to make more because people are asking me to, to teach more. So that's exciting. Great. Yeah.
0: Well, we often refer people to you and we also get people who are taking your classes and loving your techniques and oh, le- looking so for <laughs> materials that you use. So I, awesome. um, I love that we are connected in that way and I love to
1: hear what people are learning from you (laughs) yeah and I used your yarns in my class too so that's that was really great too that connection Yeah. yeah
0: yeah And we have a project on our website um, that you generously shared on our blog, showing people how to create it and also a kit that goes along with that. So I'll link to that in the show notes, along with um, all of the links for your website and for your teaching. Speaking of which, where can people go online (laughs) and on social media to learn more about you and your artwork and your teaching?
1: Yeah, definitely. They can probably reach me the easiest on Instagram, which is at Allie Roos, A-L-L-Y-R-O-U-S, um, or on my website, which is where you can find the classes and any work that I have available for sale, and that's just com. Great. Yeah. We'll,
0: we'll link to all that. And do you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there?
1: Yeah. Hmm. I guess I would say to explore whatever interests you about the craft. If there's any one thing that you want to learn more about, go with that and really work towards creating your own style. I know there are so many other weavers out there doing so many things and there are a lot of kind of different styles that you can sort of pinpoint. Um, but it's really important to be able to find your own voice in that huge community and, um, I find it helps to maybe not look at other weavers for inspiration Um, and I find that that helps kind of separate your work from the rest even just like you know in in an unconscious way and um, lastly maybe try and support local as much as possible like if you're buying yarn not secondhand if you're buying it new I would say to shop at your local yarn shops and get to know the weaving community in your era, area which is something I need to do. <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Ali, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your story. And it's been nice to get to talk to you after connecting over the computers for these last while. So, oh, thank yeah, you. <laughs> thank
1: you so much. I'm I'm so happy to be able to share a bit of my story with you. And I hope people enjoy it.
0: Yeah. All right. Take care. You too. That's a wrap. To see photos of Allie's work and links to her website, please visit our show notes at www.gistyarn.com/episode-71. That's g i s t y a r n.com/episode71. We also have a link there to Allie's blog posts and the cl- kits we collaborated on with her if you're interested in exploring this style yourself. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is talking to Linda LaBelle, a teacher, entrepreneur, author, photographer, and career fiber artist specializing in natural dyeing and weaving. In their conversation, they talk about Linda's dye garden, as well as her many trips across the world to learn, teach, and gather dye materials to share with the natural fiber community. So stay tuned next week for that episode. And until next time, happy weaving.